going to be looking at the uh, teachings of Jesus, particularly through his parables. Okay, now parables are these um, stories that Jesus used, um, or, or sometimes he used images, um, but he uses them as a, a way to communicate truth by way of comparison. Okay, to communicate truth by way of comparison. And we do this all the time. We, we try to use analogies or images or stories to try to uh, bring light to what it is we're trying to say. And, and a well-placed analogy or image can really shed light on exactly what it is that, that we're trying to get across, right? Um, I came across this week on uh, um, a thing that the Washington Post did a, a few years back where they um, ask teachers to submit um, the worst analogies that they had come across through their students' papers. And there were some terrible, terrible things there, okay? One of them was, uh, let's see, one of them said, her eyes were like two brown circles with black dots in the middle. At least I know exactly what he's talking about, right? I can see that clearly. That's pretty good. Uh, another one was, he was as tall as a six-foot-three tree. <laughs> Points for accuracy, all right? My favorite of them was this. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus' parables are a little more creative than, than this, okay? Um, in fact, as, as we look at Jesus' parables, we begin to see, like, the genius of who this guy was. I know that's a crazy thing to say, right? But from time to time, we just need to take a step back and realize that, yes, he was the Son of God, that, yes, he was full of love and compassion and truth, but Jesus was a brilliant man. Jesus was brilliant, and the ways that he taught, we are still talking about it today, okay? And it goes over just beyond people who have faith in him as Savior. Like, the whole world still talks about the things that he said. He was brilliant. He was brilliant, for one, because they're so full of truth and the absolute truth, and it finds its way into every corner of every culture, but also because of the brilliant way that he went about doing it. And so Jesus would take these images or stories he would use every day in very familiar kinds of things to shed light on something that is difficult to grasp, which is the kingdom of God. And over and over again, he would use these parables. Often he would begin a parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like. And then he would go into a story. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who went out sowing seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a man who decided to throw a great banquet and the invitations went out. And over and over again, he uses these pictures and these stories to help us grasp what the kingdom of God is like. In fact, I, did not, I didn't realize this until this week, but approximately one-third of the teachings that we have recorded from Jesus come in the form of parables. One-third of the teachings we have come in the form of parables. And then, which is really crazy when you take into account the fact that the Gospel of John 
only two parables show up in that entire gospel. So how packed are Matthew, Mark, Luke with this, with, with over and over again with this form of the parable, using that to shed light on the truth about the kingdom, giving us handles that we can grasp to understand what the kingdom of God is like. It's part of the genius of Jesus, of who he was and the way that he taught. Another thing we need to understand about the parables before we get too far into them is that for most cases, these aren't meant to be like full-fledged allegory, okay? Most of the time, there is a central truth that he's trying to get at, and it's not like every single tiny thing in there represents some other thing, okay? Normally, it's one central truth that he uses, and it's a story he pulls out to point to that one central truth. Um, The story that we're going to look at today is found in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 28, okay? And um, so let's just go ahead and, and, and dive in and read this, okay? Here's what Jesus has to say here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Father, as we open up the word today, and as we look at these stories, we begin this journey of of examining these stories of Jesus. I pray that you would give us fresh eyes like the people who heard him for the very first time. That we would be amazed, that we would see the brilliance that is just sitting there. And that we would apply the truth of it to our lives, to our hearts. That we would let the truth of it sink in. It's so brilliant that you did this. So brilliant that you use stories. Because when we hear a story, our guard goes down so many times. And then at the end, you just get us with the truth of it. So I pray that that would happen today. As we look into this story, as we examine it, make it clear to us. And help us to see what the kingdom of God is like. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as we dive into this, uh, let's take that very first line. And we're going to kind of take bit by bit here, okay? The very first line says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And let's stop right there. Okay, let's stop right there. First of all, Whenever you see that word, therefore, in Scripture, I'm not going to say it, okay? Like, my dad used to always tell me, whenever you see therefore, ask what it's there for, okay? Cheesy. That's why I'm not going to say it, okay? Um, There you go. Uh, But it is a a great truth. It is something that that we need to grasp. Whenever we see that word, therefore, we've got to understand that, okay, what is happening here is actually connected to a bigger picture, than just this individual passage that we're looking at. And and, and too often, 
we like are just so precise about slicing out these pieces of scripture and pulling them out of their context. Okay, we need to understand it in the full context in which it's resting, in which Jesus originally taught it, in which it's meant to be understood. Okay, and clearly you don't begin an independent thought with the word therefore, right? Okay, single guys in the house today. Let's see, hands up. Sweet, okay. Here's the deal. You do not walk up to a lady and say, therefore, I would like to ask you on a date. Okay? Take it from me. Don't do that, all right? Voice of experience. Just kidding. Okay. Do not do that, although... Maybe do it and let me know what happens because that would be really funny to hear how, what the response is on that. But no, you don't do that, right? You go and you say, hello, nice to meet you, and definitely do this, okay? <laughs> Perfect, all right. It's great, all right? Chivalry is not dead. Okay. Why, hello there, madam, right? Um, I don't know what's going on now. Um, <laughs> and you say something like, it's very nice to meet you. Okay, you seem like like a very great young lady. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got so many dates in high school. Um, <laughs> you say, you seem like the kind of woman whose beauty is eclipsed only by the depth of her character, right? <laughs> you seem very nice, so you probably aren't going to reject me right to my face. Therefore... I would like to ask you out on a date, okay? That's the way it works, right? I apologize for that. But therefore, it doesn't begin some kind of totally independent thought. No, clearly it's connected to something before. A case has been built, and then the conclusion comes along, therefore, do this, right? Okay, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Okay, when Jesus says these words of mine, what is he talking about? What's he talking about? Clearly, he's talking about everything that has just come before this. This parable that we see here is actually at the conclusion of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Okay, and it's this extensive discourse from chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 where Jesus lays out what the kingdom of God really looks like. And it's this revolutionary teaching, right? We've said this before. We actually, our our first time ever meeting for worship here as a church, we began by studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about the way Jesus goes and he sits down on the hillside and he opens his mouth and he changes the world. Revolutionary teaching that pours out of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's all kind of connection between what's happening with Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that echoes back to the Old Testament where Moses brings the law down off of the mountain, right? Where God speaks to Moses and he comes down with the Ten Commandments off of the mountain. And it's meant to be placed like that. So what is happening here is like Jesus is giving this new revelation of what the kingdom is like. It's the fulfillment of what all the commands were pointing to, okay? And Jesus lays that out in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like if this was the constitution of the nation of Israel, the Ten Commandments and the law, then this is like, okay, this is we the kingdom, okay? The constitution of what this new kingdom of God looks like. 
And so Jesus says, all of these things that I've taught you, okay, you've listened, you've soaked it in, and possibly even you've been able to understand what I'm saying. But it's got to go beyond that. He says, anyone who hears and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Okay, a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And clearly what Jesus does here intentionally is he, he sets up this dichotomy here between two builders. Okay, you saw the big giant Lego 2. Okay, that's what this whole series is going to be about. Over and over again, Jesus does this. He takes two things and he sets them up against each other to show the comparison and the contrast of what the kingdom looks like. And so he begins here with, with the first of the two of the wise man who builds his house on the rock. Anyone who hears the words of God, who understands them, but even more importantly, puts them into practice is like a person whose foundation is the rock. This is more than just understanding a doctrine, okay? Now, doctrine is incredibly important. Theology is incredibly important. If we don't understand it, then we're easily led astray, okay? Then we're easily led to believe things that are not true and things that are dangerous for us. Doctrine is important. But Jesus is hammering away at the idea that doctrine by itself is not enough. It's not enough to know all of the right answers. It's not enough even to understand why. It's got to go that next step. It's got to be put into practice. This is a holistic, integrated kind of faith where the thing that is happening inside of us works its way out into action in our lives. That a person who does that is like a person who founds their life on the rock, and the rock is their foundation. Okay, that's part one. Part two is just flips it. He flips it, okay, and it's the opposite. But the person who hears and does not put it into practice is like the person who builds their house on sand, and when the storm comes, the house is not able to withstand it. The house is not able to withstand it, and it falls apart, and it comes crashing down in this kind of violent kind of end that he describes here. Okay? So these two things put up against each other. The person who puts God's word into practice and the person who doesn't. Interesting thing about this second person, okay, is that it seems like the second person hears and the second person even understands. So he keeps pushing this idea. It's got to go further than hearing and understanding. It's got to be put into practice. The last series that we were in was called Epiphany. And over and over again, we prayed the same prayer. And we said, God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Okay? This series, the prayer goes to the next step. Now that God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear, now we pray, God, give us hearts to move and hands to act. Okay? It's got to be worked out into practice or it's no foundation at all in our lives. That's what he's saying. And he's painting that picture very clear. There's only one way to hear and to respond to this, and that is by actually doing what Jesus has to say. One of my favorite writers is a, is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
Um, great book here called The Cost of Discipleship. And here's what he has to say about this particular passage. Okay, He says, humanly speaking, we could understand and interpret the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. But Jesus knows only one possibility. Simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting it or applying it, but doing it and obeying it. That is the only way to hear his word. But again, he does not mean that it is to be discussed as an ideal. He really means us to get on with it. Okay? How many of us are great about debating it? I get caught in this all the time. Great about debating it. I know what I believe. I know why. And I can defend it airtight, right? But sometimes the greatest evidence against our case for what we believe is our actual lives and the way that we live them. There's only one way to hear the word of God, and that is by responding to it. Hear and do. Hear and do. And that's it. That's it. Okay, what he's talking about here as he as he pulls out this image of the two builders and the one that's built on rock and then the other that's built on sand. Here's what he's saying, okay? He's talking about engineering and construction here. He's not talking about outward decoration or interior design, right? He's like, what are the footings of your life? Like, what is your life built on? I'm not talking about arranging the furniture or picking out paint colors here. I'm talking about the literal foundation. And so many times we get so good about that other stuff, about the the appearance of it. But if our lives aren't built on the rock, then that does no good. Does no good. No good. Nobody drives through after after a hurricane has hit a place and compliments the paint colors that people have picked out, right? No. No. It's about what can stand in the storm. It's about what can stand in the storm. What is your life built on? What are you chasing in your life? What, is, what are the first things in your lives? That is what is at issue here. In the same Sermon on the Mount, as we talked about, he says all of these revolutionary things, right? And he begins it by talking about, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All of these kind of ideas that turn everything that we've known before on its head. And he even goes so far in here as to say, you have heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. Radical, revolutionary ideas. But maybe the most difficult idea for us to wrap our mind around in this entire sermon, maybe the most radical idea for us comes in the previous chapter when Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, here's the radical idea. Do not worry. Do not worry. We can understand the concept of loving our enemy, right? As difficult as that may be. But the idea of not worrying, that's like beyond us. That's beyond us. That is sometimes the most difficult thing for us. But Jesus says when your life is built on the rock, you do not have to worry because I will take care of it. And he says, first things first. 
first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added. But so often we get that flipped backwards, and we're chasing after all these things that we think are going to bring us meaning, that we think are going to bring us security and stability in our lives. And we base everything on that. If I can just land this job, if I could just work hard enough to land this job, then I will be safe. I will be secure. I can take a deep breath and everything's going to be okay. But the sad fact is that economies crash. Businesses go under. And you are not immune to that. I don't care how good your resume looks. Okay? What are you building your life on? What are you chasing as the first thing? He says, chase after me first. Let that be the foundation. And then everything else will fall into its place. This is kind of an old picture here. But but here we have this idea of the rock, right? The rocks. and, And we have the idea of the sand. And so here we have this where the sand is in its place. And if we try to move the rocks over to fit into the thing with the sand, then it almost fits, but not quite, right? You can kind of see that, right? Okay. It almost fits, but not quite. You can rearrange it if you want, and you can try however you want. Trust me, I tried this yesterday a lot, right? And it, it's, it's not going to fit. Jesus says, first things first. Let your rock be the foundation. Put the first things as the first things. And then everything else will take care of itself. In fact, I will take care of it if you put me as your rock and as your foundation. Nice and gentle, (laughs) right? And there it is. See that? Awesome. Cool. (laughs) And it fits. Get the things in their right order. Get your priorities in the way that they need to be. And the other things will fit. All right? It will be added. They will fall into their place. Put the first things first. Here's the deal. There is room in your life for your dreams and your passions. There's room in your life for that. God placed them there. He's the spark of that. It was his idea in the first place. All right? The things you really want to be, the things you really want to do, most likely those things are coming from a place of desire that he placed in you first, okay? There are, there are room, there's, there's room in your life for your dreams and your passions, but not if you base them as your foundation. Not if you put them first. Put his word first, put his way, this whole new structure of living that he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, the words that he taught, put them into practice and live by them. And those other things will fall into place. In fact, They will come alive in ways that you 
never imagined. And you'll get down the road and you'll look back over your shoulder and you'll say, that's how that was supposed to fit together. I can't believe it. It's better than I even imagined it. It's better than that plan I had drawn out for myself. First things first, okay? First things first. Chase after him and his will and his desire for you and these other things will fall into place. Jesus is not out to steal all of the pleasure out of your life. Not at all. Not at all. He's out to teach you just how pleasurable and alive you can be in your life if he is your first pleasure, if he is your first love, and all those things are under him. Then they come alive because that's how it's meant to be. They will come alive in you. Last thought here, okay? So we see as Jesus sets up these two and this dichotomy here between these two, the person who builds their house on the rock, the person who builds their house on the sand. We see these differences between them, right? And these like fundamental differences in the way that they've built their house. And that's what he does over and over again with these parables. Two things that are different from each other. But he also puts in there things that are the same. There's something that is the same about both of these houses. And it is the storm. The storm hits both houses. The storm rages against both houses. The rain falls down on both. The floods rise up against both. The wind comes hard against both. The levees break for both. So what's the difference? The one that's built on the rock stands. Both are equally exposed to the uncertain elements around them. The deal with this is about foundations. It's not about building walls or building shields. It's about building the right foundation. I promise you this, you will not escape the storm in your life. You won't. You won't outrun it. It will catch you. Every one of us will face storms in our lives. Jesus promises as much. Jesus promises as much. And anyone who promises you different is lying to you. Every one of us will face the storm. But the rock makes all the difference. The rock does not keep you from the storm. The rock keeps you in the storm. Build your life on him. Build your life on him. Build it on the sand and soon enough, I guarantee you, soon enough, you will find it shifting and sliding out from under you. But build it on the rock and it will never move. It will never move. You will be able to stand through it. What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like two builders. One built their house on the rock. One built their house on the sand. The storm comes against both. And in the end, the one that was built on the rock stood firm because their foundation was on something stronger than themselves. Their foundation was on Jesus Christ and his teachings and this totally restructured way to live in the world. Which foundation are you living on? Which story is you? What role are you playing in the story? Build your life on the rock. Build your life on the rock. Father, thank you.
for the truth of your parable. Thank you for what you taught us through this. And I pray that you would remind us that every one of us will have to go through a storm. But that every one of us will find this story to be true. And if we build our house on a foundation that shifts and shakes, we'll experience that. But if we build our house on a foundation of the rock, then we'll know you as the one who stood with us, as the one who was firm and was not shaken, even when we were shaken. Thank you for this. Thank you that you keep us in the storm. Amen.